Are you ready to go? The kingdom? Welcome back to Akashina Podcast Anime with Friends, a museum of oddities and underloved curiosities of the anime world. I am your curator, Sabrina Ray. Don had a family emergency tonight, so filling in for him will be Ian Preschel from the A-Plus Anime Podcast. Yay, Yay, that's me. Yay. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this very, very out there anime. I'm very excited. Yes, had you seen it at all or like really no did you know anything about it before I sort of asked you to come on the show and talk about episodes 2 and 3? It's crazy because the same day that you would ask me to talk about it, I had a friend, like a mutual friend ask me uh to watch a video of his talking about the the series as a whole. I like for like a like a quality assurance, like oh, does this look good? Are the edits good or whatever? And I was like, oh, this seems pretty interesting. Maybe I should check it out. And then like within an hour of me seeing that video, you asked me to be on. So like it was it was like you said earlier, kismet. It was perfect. Yeah. Now you and I, we both speak Japanese and you are also a video editor. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I I would say that you speak probably better Japanese than I do. But my Japanese is uh, so I live in Japan. No, 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 no. no. I get. Here's the thing. I there is definitely a thing when you learn Japanese where when anyone asks you, like you have to do the stereotypical Japanese thing of like, no, no, my Japanese is bad or whatever. But like, I always have to preface everything with like, my Japanese comes from slang from my wife and from being a kindergarten teacher in Japan. So like, my like, if you ask me like adult questions or like formal things from a textbook i would have no idea what you're talking about if people send me kanji stuff all the time they're like oh what does this mean i'm like bro the person that taught me japanese was six years old so i they didn't know so thus (laughs) i didn't know um so i'm very formal i like to think my japanese is sort of like um like the way that europeans say that if you live if you if you grow up in france and you speak french you could speak Spanish. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel yeah. like there's like limits to how much like practicality wise. Definitely. I can speak Japanese. I can make myself known uh, at times. I've even been able to speak business Japanese and stuff, but it goes away. It's yeah, not it's, like ingrained. It's in weird. Me. Oh, 100 percent. And like it's I was speaking of which I was trying to write a, a letter to my mother in law today um, and I hadn't written kanji in like forever. And the second that I started to write it, I was like, my hand was cramping. And I was like, oh, I have to get back to studying because it's been too long. And yeah, it is definitely a skill that it is, it is not inherent. Like, like as English speakers, we probably, like you said before, like, oh, we could learn French and Spanish relatively, like relatively easily because they have the same root. But yeah, Japanese yeah. is so insanely different from any other Germanic, like Latin language that you really need to like think about it hard and practice hard every single day or else it's like just fully gone. A hundred percent agree. And I, I often compare it to Korean where if you study the Korean alphabet for two weeks, you know that shit like flat. And then you can go mm. to a newspaper and look up words. Japan, you have to know the the like 1000 something kanji oh, by heart in order yeah, to like, like the, the start understanding something, understanding uh, anything written. Yeah, it, it's it's so funny because like when I lived in Japan, 
I had a bunch of friends because obviously like one of the things that inspired me to even go to Japan in the first place was a uh, big surprise. I was a weeb growing up. Like I loved Dragon Ball Z and I loved like, you know, the there 90s anime stuff. Right. Well, that's my next but, question. Yeah, oh, of course. Of course. Uh, so it was definitely something that I liked and I was always interested in the language conceptually. Right. And Japanese is my third language that I've studied throughout my life. So like, in my head, I was like, it's fine. Like I learned uh, like uh, a language that's Middle Eastern origin. Like I learned Hebrew at a very young age. I grew up in the Northeast, so I had to learn Spanish, right? So in my head, I was like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. And then when you go over there and you learn about the crazy insurmountable hill you have to like overcome <laughs> to even start to, to be bad, like to not even just be good, like to be horrible, you need to put in so many hours that... It, it's yeah. kind of you feel like a jerk when like people ask you like how hard is it to learn Japanese like your Japanese is so good oh my god like when I have to like break that news to be like hey man like <laughs> I went to language school for an entire year and there are eight-year-olds in Japan that could like run circles around me so like maybe don't get hyped about Japanese until you like actually know what you have to kind of memorize and, and overcome or whatever I always feel like a like a bad guy whenever I have to break that news you know I do know. In fact, um, when I first went there, I had been studying Japanese constantly, but I couldn't mm. speak a word of it. And yep. people would would ask me, like, they, they kept pushing, like, food on me at my friends' places. Like, they'd be like, the mother would come out with, like, this whole plate of watermelon, and they'd, she'd be like, hey, do you want some watermelon? How about some watermelon? And every time I'd be like, Betsuni. Bitsini. I'm good. I'm and good. I thought nope. I thought I was being like I thought I was using something like semi-polite. It turns out I'm yeah. being super rude. Yeah. <laughs> like like giga rude. Like uh and that's yeah. the thing too is that like I grew up in the northeast like in the US there is like respect culture there is like a vernacular that you do more readily associate with being like, you know, more polite and courteous, but like in New York and New Jersey, not so much like, you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> and then to go and be transplanted from from that to like, hey, if you use the wrong like name signifier, you are like disgracing yourself and everyone else <laughs> around you. And and or you might like if you say it at like a bar, you might better be prepared to like throw down essentially like it's a different vibe. Like it's a totally different vibe. Like even like, I, that story is not even like a random reference. Like I was in a bar in um, where what it was in Fukuoka with my wife and her friends. And like, this was before I even started like formally, like actually going to Japanese language school. And yeah. I said something, a lo I forget what I said, but I remember my, my wife being like, why would you say that? And I said, I said something along the lines of, well, it's what Vegeta said one time. Is what my response was. I don't remember what it was, um, but she's like, "You can't say that." And like, she had to give me like a lecture of like why it was as bad as it was. Um, and, and it was so it it, it didn't like phase me because like yeah. when you live in a foreign country, like you get used to looking like a moron, like it, to the point where like I almost reveled in the idea of being stupid because like yeah, everyone a else bit kind of, of privilege there. <laughs> Yeah. And obviously, like, as a white dude, like, you kind of get away with that, like, because people, I call it unicorn syndrome. And that's what my wife and my our, her family call it, is that, like, if you do something dumb as hell in America, right, people will, like, mock you or be like, yo, what the hell are you doing? But in Japan, if you're, like, an unassuming white dude and you do something accidentally stupid, people are like, 
look at that guy go. He's trying his hardest. Like it's, it's very much like sitcom level. As long as you're not like hurting anybody or doing something like, I don't know, like offensive or something. Um, yeah, it was definitely a land that let me make mistakes in a positive way. So I always, I always have love in my heart for Japan because of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it brings us right into this episode and, and I'm, Mm. it's, I'm curious about this show because in some ways it's, it's, it's based in Japan. It's it's a Japanese mm. series, but it feels much more universal than that to me. Um, mm. There's certain themes that it hits upon: bullying and uh, mm. idol, idol worship, idol obsession. Uh, mm. In one of these episodes that we'll be covering, the one with Rika, episode three, uh, the bare knife, she refers to they they break the eggs. At the same time, and two girls pop out who worshipped this idol called Yu Yu, mm-hmm. which is uh, almost certainly a reference to Okada Yukiko, right? The idol that killed herself Maybe. and oh, caused like okay. a bunch of a bunch of fanatical uh, like copycat suicides within the no fandoms. Way. I so, didn't know that. So that's like a big a big um, what's the word? like um hole in my Japanese knowledge is like pop culture. I probably know, know more about like the Sengoku Basara era than I do about things that happened <laughs> in the year 2000. Right. Like, so when you say that, like, like when it happened in the show, I was like, Oh yeah, I, I believe that could be a realistic thing. But the the fact that you're telling me like, no, that actually did happen is, is crazy. Yeah. Um, there, and then there was a whole sort of like glamorization of suicide that happens. I guess whenever suicides happen in the public uh, realm, that tends to create more similar cases. Yeah. I'm sure when Kurt Cobain took his own life, that there were mm. also copycat suicides around that event. For sure. So, you know, I don't think it's a specific Japanese thing, but the idea of an idol, the idea of sort of like, and, and, and I think this show has a very feminine edge to it because we're dealing with, mm. we're dealing with girls almost exclusively. We're dealing sure. with female friendships. I mean, it's written by a man. We talked about this in the previous episode. Oh, but okay. Interesting. I didn't know that. The writer is a very famous drama writer uh, named Nojima Shinji. And hmm. he did um, he did the Koko Kyoshi, the high school teacher, the one about the girl um, who starts a romance with her high school teacher. Oh, this um, might he, connect to things that are happening in this show, too. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. I can't talk about it too much because I have seen all the way to episode 11 now. For sure, for sure. But there's definitely hints that something uh, not on the up and up is happening between Koito, the the friend of of I, and Mm. their teacher, Mr. Sawaki. So why don't we get right into the show? Um, First of all, I just have to talk about this theme song because it might be one of my favorite theme songs. We've done so many good theme songs on this show. It's almost like this show is about great theme songs. We did, um, mm. we did, what was it? Uh, Keep Your Hands Off Azoken, which has oh. Easy Breezy. I lo- so I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because I actually want to bring up Azoken down the line. We're talking about like themes and like what the show means. But I agree. Azoken's theme is, uh, it's, it's beautiful. I love that show. Yes, great theme. We also did, we just finished Paranoia Agent. So like very that nice. had a great theme, very esoteric and weird. Um, mm. But this one is like, 
it's almost acapella style. It's like, it's, it's got mm. this almost like Wilson Phillips, like country sensibility. It's delicate, mm. rousing and kind of mournful, but bursting with possibilities. Yeah. It's like haunting too, is the, yeah. is the word that I, I wrote down. Is that like, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I've been listening to, uh, what's the song? Uh, it's on, I think it's like, it's Kanye West's like runaway. I think it is. It starts with like this, just only piano start. And it's like one note over and over again. It, it gave that same sort of, vibe of like oh, an totally, echoey yeah. yeah like an echoey sort of melancholy uh sort of feeling that kind of makes you feel alone in that first intro like and it makes you really listen as as hard as you possibly can and it's yeah it was just an interesting sort of parallel but i thought that they gave off the similar feelings you know for me it's like the way it builds it 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 goes with the images they're showing you but even with just the music, it feels like waking up in the morning. It's such a, mm. such a strange, like, kind of like, you know how, like, sort of information starts to flow back into you as you move about your morning? Mm, like, that's how it feels sure. to me. Huh. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that mm -hmm. was the, the inspiration, too, because, like, a lot of these episodes start with I, like, waking up, having breakfast with her mom, and, like, that sort of, like, almost, like, reflecting or at least in the first episode, I think in the second episode has some of that as well of her like waking up and starting her routine in the morning. And like, if we talk about uh, like the idea of like visual theming, right. She has right. an egg in the morning, right. Which is <laughs> yeah. also a part of like that as well. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that might've been an inspiration behind the music. Probably. Um, the unit name of this group that sings it is Anne Moneria. And this is from the wiki. It's a combination of the character names. So, you know, that you've got oh. um you've got all the different character names. I think it's I, Rika, it's I, Neru, Neiru, mm -hmm. and uh Rika and Mo Mo Momoe. Okay. So okay, okay. it took me a minute to remember them because they're not in these <laughs> they're not all in these episodes, but For yes. sure. and uh it's also the name of a flower. And the flower oh. this is this is from the wiki and I looked it up because Japanese love the language of flowers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the death of they a do. loved one or the loss of someone, uh, the loss of the person to someone else. Huh. So, is that the same flower that this, this might be like random side trivia. Is that the same flower that they used in the all white flower sequences in um, Tokyo Ghoul? Because I know that the, that flower was also very significant in terms of its, its meaning culturally to Japanese people. I think the Anomone... Or the an anemone. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, yeah, but yeah. it's not. At this point, who knows? <laughs> I think the anemone is um, is red, but ah, uh, I th well, I was I think that there's like a scene. This might be like crossing too many anime streams, but like there's a scene where in Tokyo Ghoul there is a white flower that slowly turns into the mm. anemone the anemone or whatever it's called. And I think that the, the white flower is the same one that is referenced in the, oh. the second episode. Cause around the door um, that shows up in multiple episodes. Now there are these giant white flowers that show up that I'm pretty sure from my understanding is they're uh, funeral flowers. Cause I, again, yes. crossing the anime streams again in the Jujutsu Kaisen opening uh, th those flowers show up as well. Um, I have not been to a Japanese funeral, thankfully fingers crossed, but like, uh, you see that imagery a lot in in tons of anime that deals a lot with death and and moving on and the spirit world, if you want to call it that. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if there is some sort of cultural connection that I'm just kind of blind to, you know? No doubt, no doubt. So when the episode starts, you know, we're dealing with um, 
the relationship between Oto I and Neiru Aonuma. Yeah. So Neiru's like, you know, like she's kind of prickly at first. She's icy. And it takes her quite a while before. Called, right. <laughs> right. When when Rika like sums her up, right? Yeah. Did this this might be a side tangent, but so I don't know the other characters and I don't know if this is a theme throughout. Um, but as someone who was uh a, a white dude living in Japan and knowing and as a, a school teacher, like there is definitely tons of prejudice towards kids who are in, in Japanese, it's called hafu, but like who are half Japanese, half something. And in the beginning, before more of the themes were showing up, like in episode one, I thought that was one of the primary uh, thematic sort of elements because I has one, uh, she has heterochromia, which is one eye that's one color, one eye that's another. Um, So I thought that her whole story arc in the beginning was about being a hafu because she gets called ugly and stuff. And like, there is the, you know, half one color, half another color. Um, And that after we meet Nail, I just call her Nail in my head, even though I know her name is Nader. And when we meet Nader, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it was kind of like, um, what's the word? Confirmation bias. Because I was like, oh, it's interesting that we're following this girl who, in my head, thematically represented a half Japanese person. Her first friend that is going through the same traumatic experience is someone who is who's black. So okay. like, I thought that I was love interesting. That. I, love I might that. be completely off base. But like, then when we meet Rika, like... Again, a lot of her hair is dyed, so I have no idea who, like, what her air quotes race is supposed to be. But she does remind me a lot of uh, uh, An Takamaki from Persona Five. Oh, I love An. She's my favorite yeah. character from Persona Five, by the way. So she, you're just she pushing all the right buttons right now. <laughs> there, and I don't know this last character, so I have no idea if she fits into that sort of theory. But um, the and it's funny that I bring up Persona Five as well, is because a lot of the themes. And um, also, like, almost the plot devices in Persona 5 are very similar to this show in a lot of ways, like overcoming psychological trauma, traveling to another world, um, possibly having, uh, you know, p- your Absolutely. teachers uh, abusing that sort of stuff, uh, abusing you. Oh, my you. God. The, the and gym suicide, teacher, actually, yeah. the coach, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. coach in oh, the second the, episode. Yeah. It's, okay, it's yeah. Right so in the, in the second episode, and that we're connecting it back to the real world events and stuff. Um, Persona 5 has a scene where, uh, or has an entire arc where there's a volleyball teacher that, uh, sexually harasses, uh, the kids on, uh, on the team and also like, like beats them to a pulp essentially via yes. sports. And that is a scene that kind of happens in the gymnastics thing. But I thought it was very funny because we're talking about the animation stuff from earlier during that fight scene. Um, I gets thrown into a giant thing of volleyballs and the camera like yes, sits yes. on a volleyball bouncing up and down. And I was like wait a minute. I was like, I know what this is supposed to be referencing. So like that was kind of the moment when I realized, I mean, like the first episode has tons of moments and tons of pops of like, wow, this is going to be a great show. But like the fact that they spend so much time to like give you visual information that like, if you know what it's trying to reference, it's like these holy shit moments, like every couple of minutes, like it's, it's, it's great. Like you could write like entire video essays or entire like, director's commentaries on like 10 seconds or whatever and that's why like i have notes here and i'm usually not a big <laughs> notes guy but like i have like 10 pages of notes because like every moment was like oh this reference is this this reference is that or whatever and it's just uh it's 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 an amazing just show top to bottom i'm so thankful that you told me to watch it you know i first of all persona 5 meant so much to me 
for specifically the reasons that you were talking about, and also the fact that I lived and worked in Japan, and I saw this up close and personal as well, but just the idea that uh, that there are kids who are kind of getting left behind by, or just infantilized and just treated poorly by a system that has become so insular and so protective of itself that it doesn't take any risks on their future. It doesn't take any risks and it trades their future away and leaves them powerless. And yeah, just the sort of empowering, of the, the empowering feeling of playing persona five and being able to expose all of the corruption and all of the, and just take these characters on that journey was amazing to me. And I think that it's, it's had incredible influence uh, mm. on this new crop of anime and this new crop of, uh, of games like i think that persona 5 is probably going to end up being one of the more influential pieces of art from this era that we're currently in because of oh for sure how willing it is to challenge those notions and sort of recast recast the people who are playing it as sort Mm. of rebels yeah something And, and and it's funny to see it as an american person right and i think that you and i have a very special pov when it comes to this sort of stuff because <laughs> certainly like, because not only like we are people who enjoy japanese media and we are people who lived in japan but we are definitely american i mean i i consider myself to be an american first right so like it's funny to like try and transplant your idea of normalcy over a place that has a completely different version of that right so like in japan like yeah. the idea of a rebel or a, the idea of like overcoming these like crazy um arduous situations right in, in america you're like no if that ever happened that like i would tell a hundred thousand people like they, they would not be a rebellious thing it would be it would be like my duty to do that it wouldn't be a thing that where i would be like sullying the good name of my school right so it, it's interesting just cross-culturally how media can be very impactful both for the people that live in that country but then also be this wake-up call of like oh like things are very different in other countries and we need to like be aware of that, but then also know that those norms can be challenged in any country that you live in. It's, it's crazy to think about. I think we get a little bit of that sort of like idea that the adults may not have the best interest of the younger people at heart uh, from not only the monsters that they face called wonder killers, Mm. but also from the Akas or the two mannequins who are, who are mm-hmm. introducing them to this world, sort of laying out the rules. And at one point, Rika sort of uh, pretends that she has a broken rib or she's mm-hmm. healing from a broken rib. It's kind of not clear, but For it sure. certainly looks like she's acting it out. And she finds out that the people who have been sending her on these quests don't really give a shit about her. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I I'm just now like thinking about this that scene more clearly as you described it. Do you think that that's supposed to this might be like again implanting like psychology in a moment that doesn't need to have it there. Do you think that that's supposed to represent like Munchausen syndrome or like or not Munchausen whatever the opposite is like kids who pretend that they're hurt just to get attention like from their um, like a, um a band, not abandoned parents but like their parents who are like super obsessed with work or whatever like you don't know is, I don't know if there's a word I for that know. in psychology. I do know. Yeah. Um, I was like acting out because like Rika does like everything that she does in perpetuity in this in this episode that we meet her is her acting out because she wants 
negative attention because she she wants someone to ask like hey are you okay are you good and like you can see that she's like purposely messing with I to like to like to get a reaction out of her and when she finally does she's like she's like oh can I have some pajamas it's fine I'll clean it up like she just wants someone to like be there for her because she's obviously hurting and you see that when she crosses like the threshold into the bathroom by herself when she's like Oh like yeah, she has that alone. moment where the facade falls away and suddenly she's yeah. by herself and she can only be real with herself. She can't lie to herself. Yeah. And it's so this is the thing that I love about this show you, is that And you like, see that she's a cutter. She has she yeah, has slashes yeah, 100%. on her arm that aren't mm-hmm. fatal. They're mm-hmm. they're the kind of cuts that you make when you're trying to feel something or you're trying to draw attention to yourself in a way without hurting yourself or without um what's the word i'm looking for it's not hurting yourself because you obviously are hurting yourself when you cut yeah but you just express something in some way like the reason why i love this show so much is because it like a lot of shows when you think too hard about them they don't pass the bill of scrutiny like when you think too hard about this is no shade on my hero academia it's the first show that i'm thinking of but like (laughs) when you think too hard about that show you're like oh this doesn't make any sense or oh this doesn't give me the emotional uh like feeling that i'm putting into it this show like you could stop frame by frame and you could look at things like oh this means something everything is supposed to be where it is um and it, it is so awesome to like analyze this show because it rewards you constantly for like putting in that effort it's uh it's so good <laughs> i'm a huge fan of it as you can see let's roll back a bit and talk a bit about um talk a little bit about eyes transformation through these episodes because yes. when it starts she She's not really sure what she's doing. She's trying to keep Mm -hmm. this person alive, but it turns out that the rules are different than she thinks. She suddenly has to not only keep the the egg girls safe all through the the night, but she Mm. also has to defeat these wonder killers that represent their trauma. Mm. And and she she gets her ass kicked multiple times. For sure. And uh, at one point she gets, she basically gets booted from the game Mm. and has to like, come back again and it's interspersed with her sort of working through her feelings towards what happened with koito so Mm -hmm. we get a lot more information about koito but we're also seeing a change in eye because from the beginning of the two episodes to the last bit of the two episodes she starts out being very um unsure of herself and she seems to not have the power to overcome these obstacles Mm. and then when she's with rika and she comes to this decision, like, and it's a very strange place it takes it because throughout the episodes we're seeing Koito um, and the story unfolding where she might have been having some kind of uh, affair and or just getting special treatment from Mr. Sawaki, their teacher, who Rika says, you know, he's a hot guy. Yeah, and, Ikemen or whatever. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It's it's. It's it is a weird thing to like get a hold of the show because it does have this like David Lynchian feel of like time is not sequential, both in the show of like the second they break the eggs, like time either stops or like like it's a, this weird in between universe thing. Like you can go to this universe in your dreams or you can like go to it when you go to the park and go down the decrepit stairs or whatever. Uh, like, right. Time, Was yeah, she like, dreaming? It, it's very strange. Like- that was a question we had in the first episode was, was she dreaming when she was walking through the park and saw the firefly that talked to her? 
Or was mm. that something else? And at some point she's dreaming, but we never see that separation. Yeah. And it's like that. I'm glad that you guys were talking about a uh, paranoia agent before, because like it's, it's almost serendipitous that you're talking about paranoia agent and this show, because there are definitely um, Satoshi Kone vibes with this series where like time is only useful to show you like a plot thing, like, or sorry, the opposite. It's not relevant to the plot. It's, it's all just a device that the authors use. Like, things are only relevant if they're relevant in the moment. Like it, it's very dreamlike Agreed. and weird in that sort of, um, in that sort of space. Um, but yeah, like the whole thing, her whole journey, I's whole journey um, is strange. And the reason why I brought up the time thing earlier is because like, we don't really know even three episodes in what happened. And I don't think even <laughs> I knows really what happened uh, because she's still processing it. All she knows is that her friend committed suicide and she is this like statue. She's like this calcified thing in this other world. And I have a strong feeling that when they say save, it's just like save meaning to unearth the trauma of this event that happened and like what actually transpired. But then that theory kind of goes out the window with in episode three with Rika because Rika knows her whole story and knows her whole shtick. Um, and supposedly so does, um, Nader, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's like different and unique for every character. I, I, I don't know. And that's the thing. There is no logic in this thing. It's this weird dreamlike trauma universe thing. I don't know. Well, the idea that you're saving yourself applies to every character. I think that we've met so far. For um, sure. That, uh, and, and at the very beginning of the episode, Nader is being totally, totally like flatly delivering these like brutal truths like who Mm -hmm. are you fighting for you don't like who you are now so you go in hopes it will change (laughs) you and make you love yourself even though yeah i wrote that down i wrote that down that exact quote and this show is definitely a show that you could write down specific like english and japanese quotes for you want to change the self that you hate is the quote (laughs) And I was like, are you, aren't you like 12? Like, relax. Like, that was such a crazy, intense quote to hear at the beginning of my anime show. <laughs> it was it, wild. It was. And there's also, there's also a really interesting uh, difference between I and the dream versus I and reality. Every time we've seen I yeah. and reality, she's pulling her hoodie around her head. She's doing the, mm-hmm. like, total, like introverted like shutting down sort of emotionally unavailable unavailability and yet when she's in the dream she's almost skipping and dancing and like she's so forward and outgoing it's it's weird too because i thought i thought that i um i thought that i was like missing an episode because like you're right it does (laughs) seem like almost this weird feeling of like it's a different character almost because, like, again, in the first episode, she is this, like, repressed sort of introverted Hikokimori-style person. Her hoodie covers her whole head and, like, almost makes her head look like an egg when she pulls it over ooh, or whatever. Oh, there you yeah. go. Visual theming. It's just everywhere. Um, and, and yeah, but then the second she enters the the other world, like the, what do they call it in Persona? They call it the isekai, but it's called the metaverse in English or whatever. Yeah, we call um, it the metaverse, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's it's strange. Like, and I I thought that initially um oh, mementos. I'm sorry, it's called mementos. Mem- yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh but I thought initially she was acting like that in response to Nadu because she saw that, like, oh, this girl is like very closed off. Let me act the the opposite to like 
get a reaction out of her, kind of like what Rika is doing to her in the real world. Um, I like that. But, but I, I have no idea. Because, like, how are you going to get a conversation started if it's two closed-off <laughs> people? Like, that, that conversation just doesn't go anywhere. So I thought that was kind of a strategy. But maybe there is, like, a different, you know, the two eyes. The eye, the two eyes in her head, but then also the two eyes in the dream and also in the reality. Well, um, one thing we definitely yeah. know about I is she loves girls who are stylish and slender and model-like. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like, 100%. That's all she ever has to say about them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I might be completely off base here, but like the scene, I think it might have been in the first episode where mm. um, her friend goes to her house and like touches her foot and gives her the hug. Like, again, I'm... I'm a I'm a straight dude, so I don't know what girls do uh, when they hang out. I don't know if that was like normal. It to me it read as semi romantic. So like I wrote down on my notes dot 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 gay question mark like is this the implication here? But did you get that same feeling or no? I got the exact same feeling at least from these episodes, and um, like it's definitely there. I I I definitely at this point I thought for sure that she's jealous of Koito. Or uh, she's jealous of Mr. Sawaki for stealing Koito's <laughs> attentions Attention? or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And so, so we were talking earlier also about um, two things that I wanted to bring up before I forget because I will forget. <laughs> One is the uh, the Azoken thing. Um, I think that this show pairs almost like beautifully with Azoken. Um, like this is the, this is the show you watch on Saturday and then, sorry, this is the show you watch on Sunday and you watch Azoken on Saturday because as a dude, right, I grew up on Shonen. I grew up on the super male focused shows. Mm -hmm. Like it's really refreshing to see media now that focuses on girls and not necessarily in a like shoujo romantic sort of way as in like a, no, this is like how girls are friends and this is how girls work together. And like, here are the girl archetypes that you get to like get to see work together, both in Azoken and in this show. Um, And it's, it's cool to see because in Azoken you get the feeling of like, yay, triumphant friendship is great. It's hard, but we work together. We're all different. And this one is like the traumatic side of, of like, of being a girl growing up and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and it's, it's awesome to see. And I wrote down in my notes that it feels like this is Gurren Lagan for girls. If that makes <laughs> I any seen sense. Gurren Lagan. So, and I had to explain the same thing to my wife today, but Gurren Lagan for all intents and purposes is just like, it is a shonen style show about what it means to be a man and like becoming a man as a young boy. And like, there's a character in that show um, named Kamina. And his whole thing is like, don't you've seen this meme probably but it's like don't believe in yourself or if you don't believe in yourself believe in the me that believes in you right and it's this uh reflection of like positive masculinity right like believing in oneself to achieve a a dream shoot for the stars type stuff Mm -hmm. um whereas this and a lot of that stuff like there's tons of like theming uh kind of like in this show a little bit less sophisticated but like there is themes of like you know mecca has always been connected to like uh, mecca and um magical girl stuff has always been connected to like idealizing your true self in a object form. Right. Um, so, so yeah, this feels like that because it is a, it is girls pushing through their trauma at a like formative age. I assume it's like, these are like high school girls. Um, and the imagery with eggs and stuff definitely could somehow be linked to like puberty and becoming a like adult for girls. Um, and like, I cracking think that's the definitely egg. built into it. Yes. 
Yeah. And, and like, the thing is, the, the theming could, like, be split in so many different ways. Like, you could be like, oh, the egg represents puberty, obviously, because of, like, having your period or whatever. Or you could be like, well, the egg represents innocence because eggs are fragile and they get broken over time or whatever. Egg eggs also are connected to like birth and like you be like becoming like almost like um like butterfly like like emerging from the cocoon as a new person after trauma or whatever there's like a billion different ways you could kind of split the difference on this um but yeah it's just it's so flush with like metaphor and like these experiences that don't feel like like shitty or like (laughs) like you see characters in anime that are hyper sexualized or like just women characters especially that are like just objects in a show. So to go from that to like, oh no, these are real people who have been going through a lot and here's the trauma they've been going through. And it's just so refreshing to see. I like the way they portray female friendship in this, especially when um, those walls start to come down a little bit, especially between I and Nadu in these episodes where... Mm. Uh, the the way that they talk to each other, the shorthand they use and everything feels very, very grounded and real and mm. not not just a writer putting like very trendy sounding things in their mouths. It feels <laughs> yeah. it feels very much like an actual conversation is happening between these characters. Um, For sure. I know I know that Rika can be she's showing off a lot in the first couple like this at first when we meet her she's pretty reprehensible as a character she seems like she's using (laughs) i as her new wallet yeah Uh, she refers to her as a background dancer as you said there's a lot of like picking at her to see if she can get some kind of reaction that will reflect back on her and hurt her in a way that will like maybe unlock something or make her feel something that will help her deal with what she's dealing with yeah Uh, will help someone pull attention on her and see her for who she is yeah. because everybody's hiding a little bit. Nadu, she's not, um, she seems to have not lived in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she seems like a, she seems like a girl. I mean, like, I, we don't know a lot about her in this moment. Like all we know is that she loves herself very much. She doesn't like <laughs> other people and she has a, a mission and then she's overzealous in her mission. That's pretty much all we know about her in the story. And they almost do like a weird fake out where it's like, this is going to be the side character, the Sasuke to Ai's Naruto. And then she's like, nope, she's in the hospital. <laughs> like, that's that's right. it. Um, yes. And like her suite is like hella nice. And she's like, obviously has a shit ton of money. Um, that's all we really know about her. Um, well, we know but, that she has a sister. Yeah. Her sister yeah, is apparently yeah. the one that she's trying to resurrect. Yeah. Um, and there's something going on there. <laughs> yeah. And like, definitely something going on. And she also... I can't, there's just not a lot to go off of essentially with, with nail besides like her, like her minor character stuff that we've seen. Like, we don't know much about her, like air quotes backstory, we'll say. Um, but the thing that I thought was interesting is um, with Rika, like, so I mentioned my hero earlier and I just mentioned Naruto. A lot of times in anime, there'll be these characters that like, I feel are like designed to be hated. Like, <laughs> either accidentally or purposely like Bakugo, Sasuke, these like shit heel characters who are like, if you saw this person in real life, you would never go and hang out with them. But they're, right. they're a device in the plot to be like main character hates this person. And this is going to be the time they work together or whatever. Like this show, I can tell that the show is written well because they introduce Rika. And then first you're like, Oh, she's a little bit weird. Oh, she's kind of cool. Oh, she is. I think I wrote down, I have to like get the exact wording because the way I word it was so funny. 
It was, um, where was it? It was like, Rika, wow, she's so cute. Wait, what? Oh, she's an asshole. Wait, what? What's <laughs> happening? Like, I'm like writing it as it's happening. And the second that we get like a little bit too much abrasion with her and I, like literally the next scene, you have her like giving you an explanation of why she is the way she is. So it like, it drops that tension as the viewer, not the characters that are in the world. It gives us a POV as the person watching the television show of like, oh, there's a reason why she acts like this. Like she's not like a flat one note character. She has a lot going on in her life, uh, which immediately made me love her even more. Like, yeah. and I don't understand how this this technique just can't be used by other writers because <laughs> it's it's instantly made other anime so annoying in comparison. I also like how I is not such a pushover. She stands up for herself multiple times with Rika and with Neiru, basically. Yeah. Um, with Neiru, she just keeps smashing, knocking on that door until finally mm-hmm. Neiru opens it and answers yeah. it. Uh, I mean, she's also Rika, she also makes fun of her too. She's like, "Hey, uh, wh- I think it's like the first time that they they talk, uh, like through yeah. the like the the what is it like the Oedipus of the hospital room." Um, she's like, "Hey, don't get overzealous or whatever. Like, here's an egg, but don't use it." Essentially, like she's yeah. kind of calling her out, like, "Ha ha, I'm okay, and you're not. Like, don't be <laughs> such a jerk." Essentially, uh, which is it, it again talking back to my hero it's the most recent show that i've seen like it feels good to have a character that is obviously supposed to be this like empathetic kind sweet person who doesn't do well with people standing up for themselves even though it is very difficult for them obviously like it feels good to see that yeah and then juxtaposed with this darkness that she's she's running from but mm. is slowly catching up with her whatever yeah. happened with koito it's it's not pretty and oh no <laughs> no there's there's subtle hints and there really isn't anything even in the new episodes that suggests this so i'm not really going this is me talking from just oh, what i've theory seen time theory time but, all right let me like, hear me hear the theories let me let me hear it but look at rika's weapon her weapon is is box cutters that she uses to inflict pain on herself mm-hmm. what is eye's weapon it is one of those click pens that has four different colors. Mm-hmm. Why would it be a click pen? What did she write or what does she write? Oh, that- wait. I think I you as you worded it like that, I think I know what it is. Um, so I think that they imply early on that it, this might be the pen. I can't remember if it's the pen of the girl from the first I call it dungeon in my head, but whatever it's called, the first um, like <laughs> right, thing right. that they go through. Um, I can't remember if that's supposed to be from the POV of I, that's her pen, or if it's the girl from that first dungeon or whatever. But if that is I's pen that she held from Koito, do you think that that was originally Koito's pen or whatever? Or it was like Koito's pen that wrote the suicide note? And Maybe. the final episodes are going to be Koito or going to be her remembering where she hid the suicide note and the suicide note will be buried where the bug is buried in episode one in the park. Oh my gosh. Look at that. You pieced yeah, it I'm, together. I'm, maybe Maybe. again i'm one of those i'm one of those shitty reddit theory people who like (laughs) oh man like minute two if you go here at this frame in the background this colored thing means this or whatever like i'm one of those assholes so like it's it doesn't need to be that way and i think that it 
if it does end up being that way, that's fine. But this show could end a billion different ways because it lives in David Lynch red carpet world where like it could be everything. It could be absolutely nothing. It could just be this girl's in a coma <laughs> from trauma or something. <laughs> it could be all those things. But right. I'm glad that you brought up the pen thing because the, a question that I had in regards to like the logic of the world is it, it doesn't seem like the other girls talk about the bug, the lightning bug, right? Um, no, yeah. definitely not. So, so I don't know what had me thinking this way, but do you know that like, I think it's called a soalacanth or koalacanth, like the bug or the, the, the fish from way down in like the, the Marianas trench that has the light in the front of its head. You're talking yeah, about yeah. The, the one that's been, been around since the time of dinosaurs. Yeah, that crazy murder-looking fish or whatever. So I don't know why, but like in my head, this uh, and this might actually connect to the theory that we were just talking about about the bug being uh, buried in the same place the suicide note is. I think that it reminded me of the of those fish because it's like this bug is like drawing her towards this trauma that like is inevitably hurting her, like reminding her of Koito and, and saving Koito, even though we know that Koito is dead. Right. That's why right. I think that it's like and it, this bug is like dangling in front of her like, hey, you can get this thing that you want if you like essentially kill yourself in this weird murder place where you have no idea if you're going to live. Um, right. So like, I don't know if like this bug is going to be like the final boss or like it's going to not that it has to be that way. But like that was the vibe I was getting. Like it was like the the rabbit in um, Alice in Wonderland, like drawing her down and like bring her to this weird fantasy world and stuff so were you getting that vibe at all from the bug there's, or no there's absolutely some of that going on though because she literally goes down a tunnel on an escalator mm -hmm. in this case but she goes down a tunnel into a underground world and yeah. she ends up in a school and we haven't talked about this but there are psychological spaces that are unique to each girl mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like well here's the other thing too what is the garden because like, is the garden like the in-between space? Is it underneath the incubator place? Because, the, and this is where I'm saying this feels like a David Lynchian, like the logic doesn't fucking matter. Don't ask a question about it because even the <laughs> right, author right, would be like, right. shut up. It's about the eggs. Think about the eggs or whatever. Because I did. I in, tried not to answer that question because I, it doesn't seem like the show wants me to answer it. Yeah. Or and even I don't think, think about it. Yeah, and that's the beauty of, I think, this show is that it's so good that when you don't get, like, in a shitty show, for example, like in a Lost, right, where the entire show is the question, if you get the the question answered and it's a shitty answer, you're like, what, the, okay, I wasted my time. But in a show that is about literally the journey and, like, the metaphors and, like, the trauma and, like, this backstory that we're uncovering, right, it doesn't, if, to me, I don't give a shit what the answer is. It's the beauty of the way the question is asked is what I really care about. And that's why the show is so good. Um, but th that's what makes asking these like deeper, like, oh, where is this located? What's the logic of this fun? Because it could matter. It could mean absolutely fucking nothing. Um, right. But yeah, like I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is hard at points to understand whether that garden is in the real world or is in the dream world. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we exactly i because and also how do they get the fucking eggs because in the first episode where the bug is like, oh another quote from the bug actually that i thought was very interesting or it might yes. have been from nail where is it it's the 
Uh, but I also wrote here big little slugger energy from the show. So I just thought that was relevant. <laughs> um, nothing costs more than a free gift is, is a quote from, I think either the first or second episode. Um, and that, that's what also, I think subconsciously gave me the vibe of like, you know, you know, devil's deal, you know, so Alicanth getting drawn into this like weird, like second world. Like it feels very, um, oh my God, what is the name of the show? Oh no. Um, Sailor Moon, but will give you trauma. What is it called? Madoka. Yeah, Madoka. It gives it's big Madoka vibes with that bug. Where I was like, that bug is evil. I'm like, do not trust that bug for a second. There's like, definitely. I, I sometimes I'm not sure whether we're hearing those mannequins talking to them or if there's a third party that's interfering. And uh, yeah, and they don't explain it. They don't explain it. Like yeah. and I, like that's that's the the shit that is interesting. Where like. <laughs> we're sitting here like be like well what if the mannequins are this and then like at the very end of the show the mannequins could be lit like just a device to like have uh characters soundboard off of each other right but like they obviously mean something because one is dressed up as like a salary man and is asking these very prudent questions like oh you know haste makes waste you know don't don't go too fast now like i think the one quote is like um haste not speed or something or haste ha- haste prevents speed is something that the, the older kind of guy says but then there's like a hipster guy with like pink hair and like glasses with a cane like who who what the what the fuck are these things supposed to be uh it's so cool man i love it uh Hey, I hope you enjoyed talking to Ian Preschel from A Plus Anime as much as I did. This is only part one of two parts of our discussion about episodes two and three of Wonder Egg Priority. So please join us next time for more of Ian and his thoughts on Wonder Egg Priority. I'm Sabrina Ray. This has been Okushina Podcast Anime with Friends. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, that's Okushina Podcast. O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A podcast and Okasuku Ikonyo.